Hello, Texans. I'm Susanna, and this is the Susanna Gibbs Show. I just want to welcome you all back. This is season two of the Susanna Gibbs Show. It's season two because I decided it was going to be, and mostly because, as you may notice, I changed the theme music. It sounds a little bit outlaw, which I don't really know that I'm outlaw, but I'm going to go with it anyway. On this podcast, we're going to talk to all kinds of Texas people about what they're doing and how they're succeeding. And today, we have the city archivist, or the archivist, depending on where you're from, with the city of Dallas. Actually, no, it's the Dallas, oh, it is, it's the Dallas Municipal Archives. There's a difference. I'm, I can't quite remember what it is, but he does explain it. Super nice man, all kinds of good stories. I really tried hard to get him to tell me about the story where he pulled out some lingerie from a World War I person. I couldn't quite get him there because he is a city employee. But he has lots of other fun stuff to say. We also started a new thing called Rando Texas Trivia, which closes out the podcast. And lastly, we're going to leave you with an insurance tip because our insurance agency sponsors this podcast, which should help you send send you out into the world a little smarter, more educated, because you really wanted to know about insurance. I'm pretty sure that's why you're here. Connect with us at Gib Agency Dallas. We love to hear from you, especially what you think about our new music. And now, on with the show. On a podcast with me, thank you so much for being here. We have John Blake. He is the city archivist of the city of Dallas with the Dallas Municipal Archive. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So what's the difference between if I say you're the archivist for Dallas versus the Municipal Archive? Well, the truth is that I'm actually not the only archivist in uh, the city of Dallas. So there's a wonderful special collections in the public library uh, directly across the street from us. But the um, municipal archives is uh, two floors underneath Dallas City Hall. And uh, that's where I usually am. So how much space do you have in City Hall? Uh, Not lots. Um we're part of the city secretary's office, and um, for a lot of our existence, we've been storing things in all kinds of closets and uh, locked areas and things like that. We had we've had a sort of a, a a sort of a vault going on for some years since the 1980s, but um, uh, we now actually have a. Um, environmentally stable climate controlled vault that is like i said two two floors under city hall and uh we're also we're also connected to the city's records management center so we're in the middle of kind of a warehouse of sorts what kind of stuff do you guys store at the archives wow um anything under the sun connected to dallas city government um, if it had in sometimes it's a little tangential, but um, most of it is directly related. Um, we collect the mostly the records of city departments. There's, you know, dozens and dozens of city departments. And uh, so the way I usually uh, approach talking about archives in the municipal archives is for to ask people to think about it in terms of uh, public services like police or fire or water or sanitation or 
you know, tax collecting or, you know, housing department, uh, things like that. And that's really how things are organized. They're, uh, the things we have are related to the services and functions that serve the citizens of Dallas. What's some of the strangest things that you have stored in the archives there? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, um, let me give a moment to that. Um, I'll tell you some of the more unusual things we have are uh, in our JFK collection. We have the police department's records of the Kennedy assassination, and they're the records that were compiled by the uh, Dallas Police Department during their initial investigation. And so it's about two weeks or three weeks worth of, mostly, um, of their procedural records. And until the federal government kind of swooped in and said, we'll take it from here. Uh, so as far as unusual things, we have the uh, fingerprint files for uh, people like Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. And those are unusual. Um, Jack Ruby's is rather entertaining because... Um, you know, on a fingerprint file, you usually have 10 fingers on it, but there are only nine on his. And that's because Jack Ruby had a finger bitten off. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> not just he had a missing finger, but it was bitten off. Wow. Yeah. Rough guy. <laughs> Is JFK um, stuff probably like your most requested bits of information? I mean, can anybody walk in and say, hey, I want to see Jack Ruby's fingerprints? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's easily our, our crown jewel collection, and it's definitely among our most requested materials. And um, the, the bad news is that it's, uh, you know, pretty dog-eared uh, after 60 years. And, um, you know, a lot of it's on carbon paper because they use multi-part forms. And then a lot of the uh, TypeScript materials on onion skin paper, if old-timers remember that kind of stuff. Um, but the good news is it's entirely digitized. So uh, there's 11,000 documents that have been lovingly digitized through a grant from the uh, Texas State Library and Archives Commission. And it is hosted 24-7 on the Portal to Texas History, uh, which is the statewide digital library that's maintained by the University of North Texas. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So I could say, hey, uh, John, I mean, I probably don't even have to talk to you, right? I could just go online and look yeah. at the archives and pull stuff up. And that's so interesting. How did you get to be in this position? Well, um, I uh, started in archives straight out of high school and actually before the fall, the summer before I started college. Uh, so that would have been in the early 1980s. And um, I worked at a place called the Barker Texas History Center at uh, University of Texas at Austin, um, which is now called the Briscoe Center for American History. And uh, I spent 13 years there as a paraprofessional and worked with everything under the sun, anything you can think of. And um, uh, during that time, I, I got both my bachelor's degree and my master's degree 
in library and information science with a concentration in archives. And um, that led to a job at the San Antonio Public Library as the curator of their very unusual circus history collection. And um, wow, that was in the late 1990s. Circus or history. Mid-90s. And um, <laughs> after that job um, uh, kind of tanked after the, the collections closed, started to close down, I took a uh, job as a on a federal grant uh, project archivist position um, at a private nonprofit arts education foundation, where I managed and processed collections relating to African American photographers. Uh, kind of unusual. And then how did you, when did you come around. here? Yeah, you have bounced around, but you've been here a long time, right? Yeah, and then and then I was lucky enough to to score this job in March 2000, and uh, my anniversary is coming up, and so I've I've been here for over 20 years, and it, it's been a wonderful place to work. Does your um, scope of work change based on the mayor or any political changes that happen? Not really. Like, do you get more money depending on who's in who's in charge, or like, do you answer to the mayor? No, no, I answer to the city secretary, and the city secretary oh. is an appointee of the city council. And I've worked now under uh, one, two, three, four city secretaries. Wow, who was it your favorite? I could. Yeah. I would ask you who was your least favorite, but I don't think you'll tell me. But you might tell me who your favorite was. Of the city. Oh, who was your least favorite? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're they're all good in their own special way. Um, I will. Oh, I will, very diplomatic. will give a shout out answer. to the to the city secretary that I did not get to work under, a guy named Bob Sloan, uh, and um, Bob was the city secretary for the city for many years. And uh, he had the foresight to establish our archives. Um, yeah, nice. They, you know, you realize that, okay, I'm in charge of the city council's meeting minutes, uh, uh, you know, ordinances and resolutions of the city, which are, of course, voluminous. Um, and then he realized the value of starting an archives program. And I'm only the second archivist that's been here. Interesting. I always, I have this weird image of a librarian, and I'm pretty sure the image is from, this is dumb, <laughs> the movie Ghostbusters, and she's standing there reading a book, and she goes, shh, and then at some point she becomes a monster. But I always imagine, you know, being a librarian is very chill, it's very calm, you're kind of reading your books. What is a day in the life like for you? Well, it's a little different than a, a library uh, position. Library position is uh, about half and half in front of the public and behind the public, um, behind the scenes. And um, I worked a lot of uh, public reference. Um, libraries are walk-in kind of places. You walk in, you look for a book. If you need help, you talk to the librarian. Um, or, or a reference librarian or whoever. 
And uh, we're kind of like that, but we're not as much of a walk-in kind of place. Um, our, our archives is uh, so small that we just can't, um, per, you know, allow for people to just drop in or walk in. So we're by appointment only. And um, the good part about that is that keeps it real quiet. Yep. Excuse me. Do you like it that quiet or do you ever feel like cut off or isolated or are you somewhat introverted by nature? Is that how it works for you or? Um, I'm a pretty social animal, so I, I like human contact and I get lots of it through, you know, email, phone call, um, those kinds of things. But, um, uh, uh I would say, um, I don't think it could be isolating if you want it to be, but I, I choose not to. Um, I try to engage with people as much as possible. Um, um, you know, one of the benefits of, of it being an appointment only gig is that, um, you know, uh, I get a lot, the, a lot of, I get a lot of quiet and I can get a lot of work done when there aren't a lot of people around. So it's double-edged. You mentioned onion paper earlier, and there's something so satisfying for me about touching paper, like touching paper and feeling the books and smelling the new books, the old books. How do you feel about the digitization of books? And are we going to lose books at some point? I hope not. Um, here's my feeling on it. I think myself included, a lot of people have a real fetish for um, handheld objects, for some tangible objects of, that are paper. Uh, people love things that, are, you know, that they can go through, like the giant bound volumes of the city council minutes. They're these large um, ledgers, bound ledgers, and those are fun to flip through and look through. You can see the handwritten ones, and then you can see it move into the time period when they when typewriters were developed and things like that. And of course, now everything's created through you know word processing on computers. But um, uh, you know, I I worked with rare books for many years, so I I truly have a, a love for handling and fondling, you know, an old book, um, and, and looking at old paper and photographs and maps and things like that. But, um, I will say that, uh, digitization is one of the greatest things to come along in, in the information world. And, uh, it's because it is a lot more democratic, makes it a lot more available to people. Um, a colleague I worked with for years, uh, had a little sign on his, desk that said uh, the citizens would rather be online than in line and I like that interesting yeah, that's um, a good point and uh, uh, you know I would say just a small percentage of our collections have been digitized and um, uh, we're happy to have those on places like the portal of Texas history and the Texas archive with a moving image which has some of our film and videotape, but, uh, um, you know, we'll never digitize everything. And so, um, 
we're still happy to have people make appointments to come on in and, you know, handle originals. Gotcha. So I have to think after working there for a solid 23 years, you have to have some good stories about weirdo requests or people that have come in or so anything that you want to, you could share with us. Sure. We get, um, all kinds of people want to use our collections. Uh, I would say about 70 to 80% of it is, um, city employees and people from other departments. And, um, most of their questions are, are, uh, very practical ones, you know, who was the mayor of pro town in 1974 or, uh, the park department is in the field doing restoration on a historic park structure. Um, one that comes to mind is over in Oak Cliff at uh, Lake Cliff Park, and they were looking for, they were taking care of, of a building that was built in the 1930s by one of the alphabet agencies like the WPA or CCC or something, and um, they were curious about the materials, the roofing materials there were, and uh, someone said, why don't you call Slade in the archives? And like, well, yeah, we do have the original plans, and it has a building schedule with all the materials listed from, you know, 1935 or 1938 or whatever. And uh, so they were able to identify what the original materials were, try to find a modern analogous uh, type of material, and they managed to make it look like it did when it was first built. So beautiful example. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I love it, and 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 that fulfills my my selfish desire to help people. Um, I love seeing that. And then we also have citizens, and citizens are doing everything from writing books. Some people write historical fiction and want to know when the first lights were available and that first electric lights or. Uh, what streets were paved and what streets were not paved in Dallas and in certain decades. Um, and those are the kind of questions that we could answer. Um, a lot of people Can do. Can you name any of the authors that you've worked with, That any any that would ring a, a bell? Uh, sure. Um, let me think of. Um, a lot of them are local history authors. Um, I've helped people like, uh, and, and then also people who are doing research for nonfiction books. And a beautiful example is uh, Darwin Payne, uh, who's a local author and um, former journalist. He was a uh, very widely respected journalist for many years in Dallas media, uh, former professor uh, at SMU. And uh, on any number of books that he's published, he's uh, consulted the archives uh, he did a, a book, a biography of the first African-American judge and municipal judge in Dallas. And uh, we were very happy to find a, a portrait of him being sworn in. So, wow, nice stuff there. That's so cool. I'll, ha I'll have to look Darwin Payne up. Um, It'd be a great subject, by the way. Oh, very cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, what else? Do you have anything else you want to share with us today? Uh, let me think. Well, uh, one thing um, I will say is that a lot of people think that 
archives are dusty and boring kind of places and that they, you know, how could they possibly be exciting or interesting? Um, I mean, everybody loves mysteries and people love the idea of, you know, dust and cobwebs and things like that. But, uh, but in truth, you know, our shelves are clean. We dust them regularly. And my feeling about, about archives is that archives aren't, aren't there just to be collected and put on a shelf. They're, they're really no good if, if they aren't helping people or, or available for use. So I try to follow the twin goals of, of uh, preservation and access. On one hand, we need to take care of the materials, put them in the right kinds of folders and boxes that'll, and put them in an environment that's going to help them survive for future use for, you know, presumably forever. And, um, but uh, we also want to make them accessible. So we create um, box inventories and guides that we have online. And we have several hundred, you know, online right now at Dallas.gov. Um, and um, you can go to the city secretary's office and look at our inventories. And if you want to come in, let us give us a, a holler or an email or and uh, be glad to set up an appointment for you. But uh, following that's the so cool. twin. Yeah. But we, we, we think that that's a good way to balance taking care of the materials, but at the same time, making them as accessible as possible, like places through the portal of Texas history. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. It's not just to keep and preserve because you think about it's not a museum where you look but don't touch, right? It's right. It's, that's an in, that's an interesting way way to put it because I do kind of think of it as like, oh, we're we're not we need to save these. They need to be protected, but protecting them denies access, and so that's that's a good way to put it. And you know, your so-called selfish side of helping people. I can see where you want to show people what what's in there and stuff. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, John, for being here and telling us about the archives. We're on to Texas trivia. Are you ready to play rando Texas trivia? I'm ready. All right. So these are five questions that I came up with myself. So you'll have to judge for yourself. Number one, what is the largest library in Texas? University of Texas at Austin. Okay. What is the sixth largest library in Texas? The sixth largest? The sixth. I told you it was rando. Wow. <laughs> sixth largest? <laughs> Let me guess. Let me think. Uh, how about... Um, University of Houston Libraries. Okay. What city banned the book No David, which is an award-winning children's book featuring a mischievous cartoon character who at one point jumps out of a bathtub, exposing a cartoon backside? Uh, maybe Daffy Duck? Daffy Duck. What does the TripAdvisor consider the top-rated library in Texas? top-rated library in Texas. Mm -hmm. I don't know. All right, moving on. Which sure. state had more book challenges than any state last year? Which which state? 
Which Texas. state? Yeah, that was us. That was us. So your first question, what is the largest library in Texas? The new McAllen Public Library apparently is the largest library with 123,000 square feet and may have the largest single floor public library in the nation. Wow, that's great. I thought was pretty interesting. I know. It's not yeah. the biggest. Um, the biggest is in Washington, right? It's the Library of Congress. Am I making that up? I'm probably making it up. The sixth largest public library in Texas. Again, thank you for playing. It is the Frisco Public Library. Frisco? Yeah. Should... Wow. And... Yep. Um, they have great libraries up so... there. Yep. It's And they have a really nice Blackland Prairie inspired the architectural and interior design of it. So now I have to go to Frisco. Yeah. Um, no David, the city that banned or considered banning this book was Katie outside of Houston. Apparently it's a drawn cartoon that gets out of the bath and there's a cartoon backside and it caused a big, a big questionable to do. And I was like, really? Um, TripAdvisor considers the top rated library in Texas, the George Bush presidential library. Interesting. I know. Well, it is TripAdvisor. So whether it, you just never know, um, which is the, um, the George W.H. H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States, dedicated to the preservation, research, and exhibit of official records, personal papers, and memorabilia. And then you got the last one right. Which state had the most book challenges in any state? It was Texas. Yeah, um... Texas. <laughs> so thank you so much for playing Rando Texas Trivia. Thank you so much. Enjoyed being here. Well, I appreciate it. Hang out for a minute. I'm going to shut down the podcast, but hang out for a second so we can, I can say goodbye. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I totally, to be honest, picture him in a dark, dusty place, but now I'm going to have to go see him and see where he is. They're actually in the um, city building, the, the building that's shaped kind of funky like a V. A lot of people don't like this building. I personally love it and think it's really interesting. Um, and if you haven't seen it, Go check it out. And now onto our insurance tip of the week. We get this question quite a bit. It's how do I know if I should file a claim on my homeowners? And there's a real easy answer. If it's not going to hit your deductible, I probably wouldn't file it. Some people call us and they say, hey, Susanna, I've got a leak coming in, but it's really only like a $500 fix just on the roof. So it's like, why file that claim? Why open a claim? if it's not gonna hit your deductible. So there's your answer. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll be back again in two weeks with another guest. And if you wanna connect with us in the meantime, please go to giveagencydallas.com. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you again very soon. Thanks again.